Today on Not Sam Wrestling, The Miz and Maurice are here. Is The Undertaker really retiring? And a lot more. This is Not Sam Wrestling. This is Not Sam Wrestling. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. Here he is. Happy Monday, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Not Sam Wrestling. And boy, do we have a lot to do today. Appreciate everybody for downloading the podcast. Make sure if you're downloading and listening that you're subscribed. Make sure that you've left a rating over on Apple Music or Spotify or wherever you can leave ratings. Leave a rating, leave a review, do all that stuff if you're enjoying the podcast. Because apparently it helps a lot. Welcome to episode 316 of Not Sam... I said, welcome to episode 316, episode, episode 316, oh, episode 316, episode 316 of Not Sam Wrestling, that's right, Not Sam Wrestling 316. Come on. Those three little numbers. They shouldn't mean anything to anyone else. The 316, I sat there and I said, not Sam wrestling 316. I'm just trying to go in order of counting. But this is straight up gimmick infringement at this point. Is there anything? I mean, every single March 16th. I look down at the calendar and I say 316. Today's going to be a good day. It's three numbers, 316, and three letters DTA. You know what DTA stands for? Don't trust nobody. Well, happy Not Sam Wrestling 316. You know, a bunch of stuff ended up happening, so I'm not actually going to. But my first thought was that I was just going to sit here for as long as it took, maybe be, be more than an hour. And just talk about the career of Stone Cold Steve Austin. Talk about the story and the character arc that that character has been on right in front of our eyes. And I think maybe one day I'll do that. Um, because there's a lot to talk about there. I look at the Stone Cold Steve Austin character. Like, I, I, I talked about it with Josiah Williams last week on the podcast. And look at it almost like a, a Tarantino movie where you start at the ringmaster. You go into Stone Cold. Then you go back to Stunning Steve. Then you can get to Superstar Steve Austin in ECW. Back to Stone Cold. I mean, Stone Cold Steve Austin is just an amazing, amazing, once-in-a-lifetime character. You look at a guy who I still don't think, and, you know, you could bring up Hogan. You can bring up Rock. You can bring up Cena. I don't think anybody has really breathed the exact same air that Stone Cold Steve Austin breathed in his absolute peak. In his absolute peak, I still don't think we've ever seen anything that matches what the Austin craze really was. And the entire ascension of Stone Cold Steve Austin, the entire build that made him ready for being this person that we knew that he would become, the entire build that led to him getting into the main event at WrestleMania 14 and beating Shawn Michaels to win that first WWE championship. The whole thing happened while he was injured. The whole thing 
happened on the microphone. He wasn't he, he wasn't able to have matches while this build was going on. I mean, it's an incredible incredible story. And 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 you especially put it in the context of the time. Had there not been, you know, you talk about the star power of the Attitude Era, and it was there. You're talking about Austin, Rock, Undertaker, Brett, Sean, DX, Mankind. The list goes on and on and on. Kane. The list goes on and on and on. But really, I mean, The Undertaker is that sort of foundation of the WWE. But if you look at what w- what was happening in WWE... At the time, like as before Steve Austin and as Steve Austin was building, they were losing significant ground. And they started losing it quickly to WCW. You know, had there been no Steve Austin, wow, well, we'd be okay. We'd have The Rock. We'd have Triple H. We'd have, you know, Sean and Brett and everybody else I just mentioned. Maybe, but probably not. I think when you really look at it, Steve Austin on top is what led to the WWE's most significant boom period in history. The only thing that they've done that is bigger on a cultural level, on a mainstream pop culture level that's bigger than the Hulkamania era, is that rise of Stone Cold, which in turn overlapped with The Rock on top because, you know, The Rock kept it going even after Stone Cold was gone for a little bit. Not that much longer, to tell you the truth. I mean, Steve Austin exits stage left at WrestleMania 19. Rock's gone as far as being a regular competitor by before WrestleMania 20. You know, WrestleMania 20, The Rock came back for and then was gone again after. I mean, Rock was already in movie star world, but The Rock was, you know, you go back a year to WrestleMania 18, and it was clear that the Steve Austin character, for whatever reason, was starting to have the brakes put on, and the Rock, it was like it was the Rock and Hulk Hogan that was the match at WrestleMania 18. I know it wasn't the last match, but that was the match. Um, but regardless of all that, you have to realize that had Stone Cold Steve Austin not come around and been that force that put the WWE back on top of the totem pole. And I don't just mean made WWE the biggest wrestling promotion in the world again. I mean made WWE a cultural force that we haven't seen in years. Like, I mean, you watch the movie Beyond the Mat, and there's this scene where they're in a marketing meeting in Titan Towers in the WWE's headquarters. And they're saying that the only... the only merchandising body, the only licensing license that is beating WWE merchandise is South Park. And this is whatever, 98, 99. And I don't know if people realize how significant that is. Like, if you were of a certain age, you were going to the mall and you were buying wrestling shirts. You Wrestling shirts were the thing that you saw everywhere. That's why wrestling shirts from the late 90s are like the biggest thing right now because they were so cool because wrestling was so cool. And the reason wrestling was so cool was, yeah, the NWO did a lot. NWO shirts were selling like hotcakes, definitely. But realistically, the popularity of Steve Austin is what put WWE 
back in the conversation of this is the standard bearer. Stone Cold Steve Austin's popularity made them the standard bearer again. I believe Stone Cold Steve Austin's popularity allowed many other stars to grow to these huge places. But had Steve Austin not been there to bring WWE back to this place, Stone Cold Steve Austin made the WWE platform the type of platform that somebody could use, and if they were really good, become a household name. But when Steve Austin had not raised that platform, the biggest star in the WWE still wasn't coming anywhere near what was going on on Nitro. So, and to this day, I mean, to this day, to this day, you look back now and everything Steve Austin did, for the most part, holds up. The comedy holds up. The badass stuff holds up. The unpredictability holds up. It's cool. It's still cool, the stuff that Steve Austin was doing. Oh, and he could have badass matches at the same time. You know, I just, you know, I think the world of the Stone Cold Steve Austin character, I think it's outrageously good. Um, and I, I, I think it's something that, that every time that number pops up, every time it's March 16th, Every time it's the 316th episode of a podcast, anytime, if it's 316 in the afternoon, there should be only one thing on your mind. And that thing is the Texas rattlesnake, Stone Cold Steve Austin. And one day we will do that podcast uh, where we just go down his entire career. Or maybe I'll do it on the network show. I don't know. At some point, though, I'll definitely get her done. Uh, I appreciate everybody that tuned in this week again on the WWE Network. Uh, I've been super happy with the feedback that I've been getting. Not Sam Wrestling on the WWE Network. Of course, it's a completely different show uh, than this podcast. So if you've watched the network show and you're like, oh, let me download the podcast. This is a totally different piece of content. And if you're listening to the podcast and you're like, I don't need to watch the network show. I already listened to the podcast. Totally different bodies of work. Totally different entities, both of them. But I've been having a lot of fun doing the network show. Um, I mean, this week, you know, a lot of controversy. I posted the photo just a still of me attempting to deadlift because if you want to watch the whole video of me deadlifting, you got to watch it on the WWE Network, of course, the free version of the WWE Network for Not Sam Wrestling. Mark Henry was there to help me with that. Um, there was uh, uh, the Mick Foley interview I love because we go over kind of the introduction of the Mankind character. We go over the stuff he did with The Undertaker. We go over how it really wasn't a surefire bet that it would work at all, let alone how well it would work. Um, and then we talk a lot about his, uh, his getting the WWE championship, whether that was something that he wanted, whether that was a goal of his or whether it kind of surprised him that he would even be considered to be the person that held that title. So great. And then he puts on the mankind mask and sings bridge over troubled waters, which is up on my Instagram account. So if you want to see that for yourself, you can go ahead and see it. But I've been, I, I've just been having so much fun and I've got a lot planned for that show on the network, the stuff that is going to be coming out, hopefully will blow your mind. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, and I just love that it's up there. I love that there's a show on the WWE Network that includes a 12-minute monologue about how great Doink was in 1993. I love it. I love it. Pat McAfee thinks that the weights on my deadlift were gimmicked. He doesn't think I can do it, but Pat McAfee has proven himself to be quite a turd every week on NXT. So, you know. If, if Pat McAfee doesn't think I can do it, 
I would say it bodes well for the fact that I can do it, you know, based on the behavior of that scum on NXT insulting the fans the way he does. For shame. For shame. I'm assuming we at the, uh, the War Games announcement this week, one would assume, right? Speaking of War Games, uh, I guess uh, all the wrestling websites are reporting that uh, WWE got their hands on a bunch of uh, old WCW uh, trademarks that they've been working on, but they didn't have. So WWE now, I guess, I don't know, apparently, according to these websites, I'm not a trademark attorney. I don't know how any of this stuff works. But they apparently have Slamboree, The Match Beyond, which is the tagline for War Games. So we'll see. Maybe maybe this year they'll go War Games, The Match Beyond. Um, I like The Match Beyond. I think that that's a good tagline. But Slamboree, The Match Beyond, Bunkhouse Stampede, Battle Bowl, Super Brawl, and Bash at the Beach. Uh, I could definitely see NXT doing a bash at the beach. You know, bash at the beach, when you go over WCW's trademark events, obviously War Games is the trademark match. I think that in terms of non-WWE creations and trademarks, War Games The Match Beyond is probably one of the most valuable exclusive match types that happened outside of the WWE. I know for a long time, like, nobody's sitting there going... Oh, man, I hope NXT does a World War III 60-man three-ring battle royal. Like, nobody's looking for that. But before War Games happened, people have been asking for years that WWE do a War Games match. So there's that. Uh, when you look at the pay-per-views, though, I think that it depends on when you watched. You know, I think that the that Starcade is supposedly the the... WCW benchmark pay-per-view. Starcade is is supposedly WCW's version of WrestleMania, but I don't know, man. I, I, I think especially if you look at the late 90s, Starcade's always ended up being a disappointment. I think if you are talking about, you know, kind of the Crockett days and the days of of, of Dusty and Ric Flair, then then okay, those Starcades, big time. But you know, what what I would say Starcade 95 was, wasn't, it was either, no, it was probably, I think it's probably Starcade 94 was Hulk Hogan versus The Butcher. What? Like Brutus Beefcake versus Hulk Hogan headlined a Starcade. Uh, Starcade 97 is the Sting Hogan match, which, yes, the build up to that match is one of the greatest build ups of all time. And going into that show on paper, that was the biggest match of the whole year anywhere in wrestling. It's hard to believe that, but going into Starcade 97, Hogan versus Sting was the biggest match you could possibly have. However, it sucked. The match was no good, and the finish ruined everything. The finish, uh, to me, that, that finish way more Way more than the finger poke of doom. I don't think the finger poke of doom is even that big of a deal. The finger poke of doom, the finger poke of doom is only a big deal, which again goes back to Starcade. So we'll talk about the finger poke of doom in a minute. But Starcade '97, the fact that you spent a year and a half building to it, and then to throw Bret Hart in the match, like I, I clearly, so it bothers me because you want to believe that when you have a year and a half build towards something, that that year and a half is being planned like, like a story 
is already planned, and it's going to take a year and a half to play out. Like, mega powers collide. It doesn't seem like they're making it up as they go. Uh, Undertaker and Kane, it didn't seem like they were making it up as they went. When you go to, maybe they were, but it didn't seem like that. When you have a build that has gone on for a year and a half, and you have Bret Hart jumped in, who was under contract to WWE up until a month before Starcade, there's no way that Bret Hart, at any point other than within the last few weeks, was worked into the long-term planning of Hogan and Sting. So even just having Bret Hart there bugs me. The fact that Bret Hart came out to, like, call out a screw job, but in reality, like, the referee's count wasn't fast. You know, Nick Patrick or whoever the referee was, I don't want to put this on anybody that doesn't deserve it, but whoever the referee was was supposed to do a fast count, did not do a fast count, so Hogan got Sting pinned for just a clean one, two, three. Bret Hart came out to interrupt it and say that's not fair, when it actually was, and then Sting ends up beating Hogan because Bret Hart disrupted an official call and then made a call himself. Like, it made no sense. It was a wonky finish. Realistically, the finish of that match, with all the build that it had, should have simply been Sting puts Hogan in the Scorpion Deathlock. Sting beats Hogan clean with the sharpshooter. Everybody puts Sting up on their shoulders. Bret Hart shows up in the aisle and stares down Sting. That's it. That should have been the finish of Starcade 97. And going forward, Bret Hart is staring down Sting because, and the story gets told. I never got my Hogan match, says Bret Hart. Bret Hart never got the match that he was supposed to get with Hogan in WWE. He doesn't say in WWE, he just says he never got the match he was ever supposed to get with Hogan. And so to show up in WCW and watch some clown in face paint beat Hulk Hogan with his move, it's not going to fly with him. And then we go to the next pay-per-view with Bret Hart and Sting in a rivalry for the WCW championship. And here's why that's really valuable. Because now you've got a main event for the WCW title with two guys who aren't in the NWO. Which means that there might still be some value left to WCW. Ultimately, WCW, after the run of the NWO, was left valueless because they everybody that wasn't NWO looked like chumps. So the idea that you could have just had Sting win clean, have Brett stare him down at the end, and then do a sharpshooter versus Scorpion Deathlock match at the next pay-per-view for the WCW championship, you could have that go on a couple uh, for a little bit. See, if Sting's not really not working out because Eric Bischoff always says like Sting was a shell of himself at that point. If that's true, have Brett beat Sting for the WCW title. And now Hogan has to have his match with Brett. And Brett can come out on Nitro and he could say, Hogan, I know you don't want to fight me. I know you don't want to fight me. I know you didn't think I'm worthy of a match with you, Hogan. But if you ever want this back, you're going to have to beat me for it now. Oh, my God. And now we're building to a Hogan-Brett match that, if you time it right, puts us right around Bash at the Beach 98-ish. About halfway through 1998, say. You got Hogan versus Brett. But no. 
They screwed the whole thing up. And then you go to Starcade 98, and that's Nash versus Goldberg, which, I mean, I didn't mind, but there are people who to this day, to this day, think that Goldberg's streak was ended way too early and that Nash wasn't the guy to do it. And the real problem, and the real problem with the finger poke of doom ultimately is, again, I don't mind the spot, but there's a couple things that's messed up about the finger poke of doom. If Nash is going to be the first person to get a, a pinfall victory over Goldberg and take the title from him, Nash needs to be portrayed as the top person in the company. It can't just be a ruse to get the title back on Hogan a week later. It makes no sense. It makes the Goldberg defeat worthless, and that's when Starcade becomes the problem. Also, it combined the NWO Wolfpack and NWO Hollywood, which was a huge mistake because, as we talked about on this podcast, NWO Wolfpack was amazing. NWO Hollywood sucked. They should have just brought Hall in, had him join the Wolfpack, and have Hogan, you know, Hollywood Hogan be on an island by himself. You could still tell that story, by the way. Have Hogan turn face. Hogan fights the Wolfpack now. Don't combine and then become like NWO elite. That was the end of the NWO. They screwed up Goldberg's, and it all stems from Starcade. So I have a big prejudice against Starcade because I feel like the 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 last several Starcades were really just poor decision factories. That's what existed at Starcade. To me, Halloween Havoc was always something I looked forward to. And, I mean, and this is going back, like, as a kid, I loved Chamber of Horrors match. It was corny as hell. It was a terrible match. But I loved Chamber of Horrors. I loved the idea of spin the wheel, make the deal. Jake Roberts versus Sting is one of the worst matches of all time when Sting has to shimmy up the pole to get a leather glove with duct tape on the knuckles. You have all these options. Can you imagine that? You're headlining a pay-per-view at Sting from WCW versus Jake Roberts, fresh off his run in WWE. You got all these options for matches on the wheel, and somebody goes like, oh, here's what will get everybody worked up. A coal miner's glove match. No, What? Nobody knows what that is. But they saved it. Halloween Havoc 93, there's a great spin-the-wheel, make-the-deal match between Vader and Cactus Jack. Vader and Cactus Jack, one of the greatest rivalries in the history of that era of WCW. Um, I don't know if you could say in the history of that era, but certainly one of the greatest rival rivalries in WCW of that era. Um, so, and then you you know you go forward with Halloween Havocs, and you've got uh, you got Eddie versus Ray. You, you got, I mean, it wasn't a good match, but you did headline with Hogan versus Piper, and then Hogan versus Warrior, and neither one of them were any good. You know, it was way too late to be doing that, but still. Big matches. And then to me, Bash at the Beach became a top-tier pay-per-view after 96. That's how big Hogan turning heel and joining the NWO was so big that to me, it made Bash at the Beach WCW's top show. You know? Oh, I think they should get hog wild. I think WWE needs to make sure they got the, uh, they, uh, they acquire the, Trademarks to Hog Wild. Road Wild, too, just to have it, but Hog Wild. Or Uncensored. They should do an NXT Uncensored. Um, so, yeah. So, I could see a, I could see a Bash at the Beach happening. I don't know. I'm, I guess they've got Battle Bowl just in case. In case. You know, Battle Bowl was when... I think the idea... I think Battle Bowl was... 
you had like 20 guys that put their name in a hat. And then at random, you'd draw out two of them, and those two would be a tag team. And then you draw out another two, and those two would be a tag team. So you'd have these random pairing tag team matches. And you'd have five of them. And the winning tag teams from those matches would go to a battle royal at the end of the night. A 10-man battle royal, I think. If you're doing it with 20 people, that's the way the math would work out. And then and the winner would get the battle bowl ring. Which is <laughs> just, just like the dumbest concept ever. Because then you just have a bunch of matches you don't really care about. Because, you know, let's say you got the Road Warriors. If, like, you know, you put him in a hat and you draw out Hawk and he's going to be teaming with Animal, you're like, why would you put him in a hat? Just have the Road Warriors team. And if you don't, then you've got, like, Animal and Tom Zink versus Dustin Rhodes and Max Payne. And you're like, I, I don't want to see this match. I wouldn't, why, I want to see Animal and Hawk versus a tag team. I don't, I'm not upset at anybody in this match, but I, this combination means nothing to me. So, I, you know, I don't know about doing a, a battle bowl. Bunkhouse Stampede is a, I mean, it's a, it's a cool name. I could see them bringing it back for something. Although, you know, here's what I would do with Battle Bowl. When live events can start again, I would not do an NXT Battle Bowl. Um, I would have WWE just do a special Battle Bowl one Sunday night at a live event and broadcast it on the network. Like, it doesn't have to even be canon. It would still kind of be canon, like the characters would be in character, but... It wouldn't, like, you wouldn't go on Raw the next night and talk about it. You know, like they did with, like, Starcade or, like, Smackville. Is that what they did in Nashville? Or, like, the Shields' last live event? Like, when they just air the live events and the, they just feel like old-school live shows that they would put on, like, the MSG network or whatever your local sports network was. I would do that with Battle Bowl. I think that could be fun. Um... Yeah, I mean, Slamboree was the Legends reunion show. So uh, it's a good name. I could see NXT doing a Slamboree. I don't know if they would, maybe they'd bring like, I don't know if you'd want to bring back like Rollins and, you know what you could do? You could do NXT Legends versus current day NXT and call that Slamboree. That's a thing you could do. I know we're just saying NXT a lot, but I mean, realistically, NXT did In Your House. NXT does War Games. NXT did Halloween Havoc. Like, I'm assuming that that's, that's what we're looking at here. NXT, uh, you know, the Capital Wrestling Center, honoring the past while pushing wrestling forward. I think that's what NXT's whole MO is right now. Um, and speaking of legends, big news dropped on Friday. I think it was Friday that the news dropped. Um... The Undertaker's final farewell will take place at Survivor Series on November 22nd at 7 p.m. Eastern on the WWE Network. Uh, the press release simply reads, the WWE will bid adieu... Well, this isn't the press release. This is the uh, deadline article. The WWE, based on the press release, will bid adieu to a legend later this month as it is as it announced that Undertaker's final farewell will take place at Survivor Series. The streaming series will cap a 30-year career for the wrestler. Uh, Undertaker made his debut, da-da-da. They have not done anything to explain uh, what this is other than it seems like it's a presentation. The Undertaker will be there. He'll probably cut a promo. 
and uh, we'll say goodbye. Now, there are some cynical fans that are sitting there going, well, you know, big deal. We've heard this before. But we really haven't. The Undertaker's never actually announced retirement. Like, we've assumed that it could be his last match. The internet has said that it could be his last match. He put his coat and his gloves down after the Roman Reigns match like it might be his last match, but it's never actually been said. This is the final match. This is the final farewell. He's never actually had a, a, a moment where it's been, if Undertaker doesn't win this match, he will retire. Like, that hasn't happened, technically. We've just assumed that these matches have been his last matches. We assumed that if the streak was broken, he wouldn't be back. We assumed that if a guy leaves his hat and jacket and gloves in a ring, it means he's not coming back in the ring. We assumed. He never said that. So now we're finally getting for the first time that this is going to be it. Um, you know, I, I expected something for The Undertaker. The The network's been doing the 30 Days uh, uh, of the Dead Man special or specials. By the way, the... Uh, uh, What's the what's the Paul Bearer documentary that they just released called? It's so good. You will get misty-eyed by the end of it. It's it's really really great. Uh they just put it out uh on Sunday on the network. Uh The Mortician, the story of Paul Bearer. And they talked to Mick Foley, Bruce Prichard, Undertaker, and Kane about, you know, who Paul Bearer was and all their experiences with him and everything. It is so Good. And Michael Hayes, too, because Michael Hayes came up with uh, Percy Pringle, as Paul Bearer was once known. But, you know, I mean, you can't. Paul Bearer is just a different breed, man. Like, you talk about managers, right? And you could say, well, you know, Bobby Heenan's the greatest manager of all time. Paul Heyman is the, the greatest advocate of all time. Like, you know, you look at these guys, but Paul Bearer is different. Like, uh, Paul Bearer is almost, he's a character before he's a manager. Like, when you talk about Paul Bearer, you don't sit there and rank him on the list of managers. You rank him on the list of characters. And he's right up there with The Undertaker and Kane when you talk about great, great characters in WWE history. Uh, his story is amazing. You know, you hear from a guy who legit had a, two dreams in life. To be a mortician... And to be a, a wrestler, as he puts it. And boom, here's Paul Bearer. You know, he, he there's all kinds of shots. Uh, there's great photos. There's great video from World Class of Undertaker's first match with Bruiser Brody. Like, first prof Mark Calloway's first professional wrestling match. Uh, that Percy Pringle, by the way, was his manager at. Um, there's great shots of Paul Bearer's calendar that he kept. He kept one of those big old school calendars that you fill in the boxes on. Uh, awesome story of... Paul Bearer's first meeting with Vince uh, and just the evolution of the character and, and coming back and why this happened and why that happened. It's just, it's so good. And it's just another chapter. I think I'm going to rewatch all those uh, last ride docs because it just gives you so much respect and it just makes you so happy that the undertaker and Kane and Paul Bearer and all that stuff ever existed. So you should definitely check it out uh, in terms of what I expect for Survivor Series. So look, there is a great chance that he will come out. He will thank the audience. There will be a big ceremony. All the wrestlers will come out that, you know, 
People from his past will be there. Maybe Hogan will finally shake his hand. You know, I don't know. All these possibilities of, of that happening. And there's a very high likelihood that he will simply have a wonderful retirement ceremony. You know, they say nobody has that ceremony. But Ric Flair had it, you know, at the, after he lost to Sean. And they just did Ric Flair night. Like, he had an amazing ceremony. And that's amazing TV, too. Macho Man Randy Savage and Elizabeth getting married. Nothing went wrong at their marriage. Ah, it didn't go so well at the reception. But the marriage ceremony itself, everything went beautifully. And that's exactly what fans wanted to see. So there, there is this thing where if nothing out of the ordinary happens and we just see a segment of this pay-per-view devoted to superstars and fans just showing their appreciation for The Undertaker, nobody's going to be upset by it. Everybody's going to be like, that is exactly the segment that The Undertaker deserves. And this is 30 years. He debuted at Survivor Series 1990. This is Survivor Series 2020. But, <laughs> excuse me, that should have been much more theatrical. But, as much as I want to appreciate The Undertaker, I have made it clear, I am not one of these fans that sits there going, somebody's going to tell this guy to hang up the boots. As far as I'm concerned, nobody needs to tell The Undertaker anything. He's The Undertaker. He's the dead man. He can do whatever he wants. I will never be upset when a match is announced involving The Undertaker, ever. You will never catch me going, I don't know if I want to see that. I'm always going to want to see it. So, yes, I do want somebody to ruin The Undertaker's retirement ceremony on, on Survivor Series. I do. I very much want somebody to ruin The Undertaker's uh, retirement ceremony. There is, uh, There are three people. I've been thinking about this a lot. And again, I'm not saying this is definitely going to happen. However, my preference is that somebody comes out and ruins The Undertaker's retirement ceremony. It's such a dastardly thing to do, such a horrible thing to do. I really hope that it happens. There's three people that I hope do it. One is a fan favorite. One is my pick. And one is probably the best bet. Start with a fan favorite, and that's The Fiend. You know, I think that uh, we saw, you know, they tweeted something out about Undertaker burying all his opponents, and then The Fiend tweeted, not all. There's a lot of history there. Of course, Bray Wyatt got the first match with The Undertaker. He got the match at WrestleMania Push Play, which was also known as WrestleMania 31. Um, and he lost, you know. I, I really thought that that was the moment that Bray Wyatt was going to get put over, but... I really thought WrestleMania 30 was the moment that Bray Wyatt was also going to get put over. I've, I've Many times I've thought this is the moment Bray Wyatt gets put over. And then it doesn't happen. And Goldberg wins the championship. But we don't talk about that. So, there is history there. The Undertaker comes back from losing to Brock Lesnar. And Bray is not the guy that gets to beat The Undertaker and use that to push his career off. No, no. Bray gets tombstoned by The Undertaker. And it and it puts Bray down that spiral. It, 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 he goes further down the spiral after that match. Whether that match is the reason for it or not, that's just the timeline. Now he's the fiend, you know, interacting. The, 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 this character that transcends, you know, I don't think the fiend is anywhere near The Undertaker in terms of character right now. Um, however... If there was any character in the WWE that has the potential to do it, it would be The Fiend. I always thought that the original Bray Wyatt had the potential to do it, but, you know, didn't happen. So, yeah, I mean, you know, I think that The Undertaker doing his whole speech 
And then boom, 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 boom. You know, the Fiend music starts playing and he comes out. Or maybe the Undertaker is doing his whole speech and as he's saying goodbye, Alexa Bliss just kind of walks out onto the stage or whatever. You know, there are a million ways you could do it. And it could be very, very cool. Maybe we'll go into depth on them on like a Patreon podcast or something. But, you know, I, I think The Undertaker versus The Fiend is a no-brainer. However, I don't know if The Fiend is the guy. I think sometimes you have to have matches for people like The Undertaker where it's like you're in there with somebody that even in a worst-case scenario, it's always going to be a good match. And The Fiend is more of a character than he is that guy. So that's why I'm like, I don't know. And also, I don't want The Undertaker to lose on his way out. I've decided that. Like, I, what I would like to happen is for The Undertaker's retirement to get interrupted and for that to lead to a match at WrestleMania. That to lead to the... And, and this is actually The Undertaker's final match. The, the Undertaker has one more match. It is his final match. It is at WrestleMania. And I would like The Undertaker to win that match. I would like The Undertaker to go out on top. Does not have to close the show, by the way. Does not have to close the show. But I would like The Undertaker to have one more match at WrestleMania and for him to win. There are guys that could have the match with The Undertaker and lose and still not get hurt by it. I think if Bray were to lose to The Undertaker, The Fiend lost to The Undertaker in The Undertaker's last match, The Fiend's, you could, you could, you know, He's done. The Fiend is done after that. So I would not advocate for The Fiend to be the guy to do this because, number one, as much as it would be a great story, I don't know if that's the story that I want right now. And number two, I really want The Undertaker to win. And I certainly don't want The Fiend to lose. So it doesn't work for me. The person that I really want it to be, and this is going to make people upset, is Corbin. Baron Corbin being the guy to interrupt The Undertaker, here's what I would have happen. I would have The Undertaker be doing his speech and just at the end, Baron Corbin comes out and he doesn't have a crown or anything like that, but he hits him with his scepter and he beats down The Undertaker. You know, he could come from the back of the of the Thunderdome. The rest of the roster is at the front of the stage. They start rushing the ring. Baron Corbin beats down The Undertaker and he gets out of there before everybody comes to save him. But he humiliates him and he beats him down. Going forward, Corbin drops the, you could still call him King Corbin, but he drops the crown. He doesn't have the royal theme music anymore. He goes back to like the lone wolf, end of days, Baron Corbin guy. And, and doesn't do a, no more goofy stuff with him. From now until WrestleMania, he's beating people and he's humiliating people. Like he becomes the heel that Baron Corbin can become. He's ruining things for people. And I think that you could elevate Baron Corbin as a heel going towards WrestleMania to the point where he's a much bigger deal at that point than he is today. He goes to WrestleMania. Everybody goes, oh no, this is just like with Kurt Angle. Remember he beat Kurt Angle at WrestleMania in Kurt Angle's last match? I retired Kurt Angle. Now I'm going to retire you. But The Undertaker beats him. He can still, maybe he takes a week off TV and the next week he shows up and starts a story with somebody else. He'll be fine because he will have been elevated to a point for the match to make sense that even being beaten by The Undertaker doesn't bring him back down. If anything, I think people 
would be so annoyed that he beat the Undertaker that it would be that bad heat where it's like, I just don't want him. I don't want him on TV. Like, I'm not going to react to him because I don't want him on TV anymore. If he lost to the Undertaker, but he's still a bad guy, I think then people would have an appreciation for him, especially if the match was good. But realistically, probably should be AJ Styles. AJ Styles is the guy that that you trust to be in that position. AJ Styles is the guy that still has unfinished business. And AJ Styles is the guy that has that big giant bodyguard, you know? You have that big giant bodyguard come out and beat up the Undertaker and have AJ Styles get his boots in. I think I think I think it could be cool. I think it gives AJ Styles something to do. I think AJ Styles cutting promos on the Undertaker would be amazing. You know, I think my my heart says Baron Corbin. But my brain says probably AJ Styles for who should ruin the Undertaker's farewell. Although maybe it'll be nobody. I don't know. However, it's not time to say farewell. It's time to say hello. The Miz and Maurice have their new reality show, Miz and Mrs., premiering this Thursday on the USA Network. And they know, as well as anybody else, that Not Sam Wrestling is the podcast to appear on if you want to spread the word. So... This week, I welcome my guests, The Miz and Maurice. The Not Sam Wrestling Interview. We are blessed now to be joined by the stars of Miz and Maurice, or Miz and Mrs. I got ahead of myself. One of the stars now of Monday Night Raw, The Miz, Mike Mizanin, and Maurice are here. Welcome, guys. How are you? That might be the, the worst, worst the worst introduction How? we've ever had in our entire lives. Like that was atrocious. How? Like I would have I would have stopped and then redid the whole take because you obviously messed up, but obviously you don't care enough to do something like that. Well, you, you just, you know, throw it in and you just say, Hey, I'm just gonna gonna half do it. You know, it's not a half do. do. There's an authenticity to it when I do it like that. You know, there's an authenticity of people knowing, okay, this is the real deal. This is not some like glitzed up Hollywood thing. And also, I'm not the one who half named the show after you guys. Like that gets complicated. That half of your name is the show. You know, what are you talking about? Miz and Mrs. is a fantastic name. When we put that name out there, yeah, people are like, what a great name. So good. Is that so good? What a hit show. I mean, you know, look like the Sam Roberts, uh, you know, like it's great. Look, you know, I feel I I understand it's very early in the morning. Maybe you just just have a cup of tea. Well, babe, it's not early for him. It's like 930 for him. Like it's (laughs) 630 for us. Okay, he's he's living the life, you know, you know, have a piece of cake for breakfast and a little cup of tea. And yeah. you'll just, you know, wake up better. <laughs> I will. You know, I will. I Look, I was just, I, excuse me for being excited to talk to you guys. It is a hit. I can't say it's not a hit. I mean, clearly it's back for season two. So the show is a fabulous hit. People remember that it's on. So maybe, maybe I'm off, but, you know, it's not like I just made up some name off the top of my head. Your names are Ms. and Maurice. That's how I got to know you anyway. I'm a WWE fan first. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> was there a question in there or are you just, are you just making a statement? Well, that was a statement, but I can go you know, into Usually a... an interviewer asks questions and like we answer those questions, but obviously you just want to make statements and uh, you know, just do your thing. Go ahead. Go ahead, well, Sam. I- I'm a huge fan of anyone entertaining and this is pretty entertaining. So right. I... Sam woke up this 
next morning, <laughs> literally got out of bed, uh-huh. and went right to his studio and started shooting. Like that that's what he does. The, like, I, that's it. Like there, he doesn't okay, leave his house. He doesn't go to an office. That happened between he, you and Sam that like Sam's you, a jerk. Sam <laughs> I'm Sam, a jerk. One time, one time Sam uh I had an interview, a whole thing at Sirius, like the whole like I did everyone, everything at Sirius. Uh, and I was like, wait you. a second. I know doesn't about that. doesn't Sam like work in this building? Right. They're like, yeah, Sam works in this building. And I'm like, well, and when am I doing Sam? I can't wait to see him. They go, oh. All right, can you kids shake he, uh, hands and, and wait, just no, no. like. He said, he goes, he goes, I'm too, bu- Sam is too busy for that, you today. That is what that's, happened. That's not yeah, what so happened. Ever I, since then, I will never forgive him. That's not what happened. I remember that story because I was there. And I heard about it in the car for three hours. <laughs> okay. Well, it's not what happened. I thought we got past that. Uh, apparently, we have not gotten past it. You're you're both here now. I made the time now to make sure that I did. And by the way, you know, at least I have the studio and everything. I mean, you know, usually we at least get some kind of Zoom interaction, not just a phoner. I mean, you have a, you have a media room in your house. I've seen it. I remember there's a whole screen behind you and you switch the screen and everything. And I saw you on Instagram and you're like, we're here in the media room promoting. And then it's like, wow, no, you're not getting the you're not getting the Ms. Maurice visual today. This is just a phoner. <laughs> you get a phoner. You're welcome. You get a you're phoner. lucky you're getting that. Oh, I guess I am lucky. You know, I will say this. I saw an advanced. This is I'm telling you I'm a big deal. I saw an advanced screener of the first episode of the new season of well, Ms. and Mrs. gave you that screener is fired. They should not be giving right. you early screeners. You're not big enough to get an early screener. All right. Well, I'm not going to mention who gave it to me then to protect them, right. you know, because that's the type of guy I am. But here's what struck me, okay? I was watching, and there was all this, the, 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 the season premiere starts at last year's WrestleMania at, in New York. And... Mm-hmm. I was watching, and there was all this nice, wonderful, beautiful family stuff that we've come to expect from Ms. and Mrs. But what was in my head, because I remember that WrestleMania, is I don't understand the balancing act that you two pull off. Because literally the same day that you're having all this wonderful, beautiful family stuff, Ms., you had one of the most violent matches in the history of your career. The things that you did that day are things that a family man doesn't do i mean how do you how do you how do we when, at what point in the day do we shut off okay birthday parties and here's my family and everybody is is having a great time and you know go to battle well i mean that's what you have to do to be a wwe superstar you know it's mm-hmm. like uh you know one when i'm when i'm home i'm mike mizan and i'm a dad you know i'm dada if you will i'm at you know, I monroe and madison's beck and call i am their clown i am their entertainment uh all day long and then once I go to WWE, I'm, uh, I guess I'm everyone's clown and everyone's form of entertainment, <laughs> the world, the world's entertainment. Uh, but no, like you, you, honestly, you just, you just, you flip it on. There's a switch that, that, that is flipped and then it turns into the Miz and you lock in your focus and you try to figure out what is best for not only, you know, what the WWE universe needs, but like what the company needs. And uh, you figure that out, and you have one of the best matches that has been seen at a WrestleMania in a very long time. There is, and also a great cameo from your dad at the, in that WrestleMania match. So that's where the family does. You understand kind of... that now that that cameo has happened, uh-huh. my dad has turned that 15 minutes of fame mm-hmm. into like 15 years. Like <laughs> he is just 
it, it it's every Monday night mm-hmm. he calls me and goes, Mike, you know, you're, you're doing wrong. And I go, Dad, I've been doing this 15 years. Like, I don't need you to tell me. He goes, obviously you do because I was in the ring for five minutes and I became a meme. Hey. And I was, I was, uh, I went viral and uh, everyone's talking about me. So, yeah, you know. I mean, I mean look. Now I have to listen to him all the time. I'll tell you, you know, you took a long time to really hit your peak in the WWE and you had to go through a lot of hurdles and you had to go through a lot of naysayers, right? Until you finally became that star on the level that you always thought you were capable of. Your dad got in the ring for one, for five seconds and it's on a t-shirt. That is an accomplishment. That is, I mean, you know, people dream of having a WrestleMania moment their entire (laughs) careers. And some people never get that dream. But my dad literally just not only never had the dream, but, made a dream and he now has it and doesn't I don't think he understands the level of how important that was and how cool that was for him to to get in a WWE ring and do it he's just like yeah of course I did I, you know, I'm George Maizana <laughs> just a little bit like my mom with Ms. and Mrs. yeah like, I don't think they understand how hard it is to have a television that's a show that a show that's that's on a network uh yeah, they just think things are given to them. Yeah, they're like, yeah, you know, uh, great, okay, um, sure. <laughs> yeah, like, like USA lucked out because they got your mom. That's the way she thinks. <laughs> yes, and then um, she's like, oh, everyone loves me because um, on Instagram, people are giving me compliments. And I'm like, yes, but these are like 50,000 people that are following you, uh-huh. which, by the way, it doesn't make sense because I have a lot of, followers but i don't always get compliments <laughs> yeah, exactly. so we always get the negative yeah. and our parents get all the positive and then they think they're the biggest stars in the world and whenever your parents think they're the biggest stars in the world is not a good situation for you no no and also you know i think about that wrestlemania and i think about the the hell that you went through and i think about you limping back you know, to the locker room and going like, oh, my God, like, I can't believe I pulled all that off, falling off ladders. You're in the middle of 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 giant stadium. You know, you're all over the building and you get to the back and you look at the Internet. And what are people talking about? They're not talking about yeah. anything that your body just went through. They're talking about how great no, your they dad didn't was. talk about no. my 20 foot fall off of a scaffolding. Yeah. <laughs> they talk about my dad putting up his stupid dukes looking like an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> and then Mike's mom backstage being like, Oh, I would have went in there and I would have beat him. I would have like defended my Michael. Yeah. And I'm like, Well, Mike right now is, is hurting in the yeah. back. Um my mom was jealous that my dad got all that fame and I was like, Guys, like, look, I, I just had a wrestling match. Like, can you guys support me? Right. Right. Well, no, they got a taste of it. They got a taste and you gave it to him. I mean, you're the ones who are like, Well, our family should be on a reality show. And then USA Network agreed, and then the world tuned in, and I feel like you guys, yeah. you guys created, created some monsters. monsters. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. remember at WrestleMania, Mike was in the ring, and I was um, with everyone, the suite upstairs, and Barb wanted to go downstairs, and I said, you cannot go by the ring. She's like, I'm going by the ring right now. <laughs> I'm going, and I'm like, she cannot. She doesn't understand that, like, she can't just, like, jump in there. Like, she... She, so I was battling with her, my mother-in-law, trying to tell her, no, 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 it's not. We're not in a bar fight here. You're not going to start like punching and kicking people. Fresh Prince said it the best. Parents just don't understand. He did. Yeah. That's exactly right. 
I feel like there should be like a, a documentary on WWE stage parents because like Zack Ryder has the same story about his dad jumping into the ring at WrestleMania after he won. Like he's like, what are you doing here? Why are you? Why are you? Yeah, in the that ring was right a real now? moment. Like his dad got so excited. Like I, I think that's amazing though. His dad like yeah. jumping the, the 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 barricades to give his son a hug. My dad would never do that. My dad would be like, <laughs> like my dad would be like, wait a second, wait, they're not putting the camera on me. Yeah. Like right. my dad doesn't like hug me. My dad doesn't tell me like. I love you or give me any kind of that kind of support. Well, we kind of see it on Ms. and Mrs. a little bit. Um, one, it's one of my favorite episodes, actually. Great. That Thanks. Your, Thanks, babe. That, your, that dad is, <laughs> your dad is trying to to hug you, and it, it's just really awkward. Yeah, like anytime my dad tries to show any type of affection, it gets really awkward and weird. And it, like we can't even it's got it's become so awkward and weird that we can't do it. Like it's just we don't hug. We don't tell each other like how we feel. It's just, it's gotten to a point where it's just too weird to do that. Yeah, I And mean, we do an entire episode on that because my, my wife actually was like, we should, we just do an episode on like, just show you and your dad's dynamic. I go, Maurice, please, can we not? Like, I really don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. Cause like, I, I don't want in the end, like us having to hug. I really don't want that. Oh my goodness. You know, you're F him, right? Huh? What do you mean? I hug my daughters every day. I tell them I love them every day. No, no, I know, but I was saying he's your dad still, like, it's like. But right. I'm not like him in the, At in, all. In the form of uh, that You know aspect. what's funny when I say you're like, oh, you remind me of George, and you panic, and you're like, absolutely not. not like <laughs> and, then, and then I hate when he says, oh, my gosh, you're like Marjo, and that well, is. Well, you are like Marjo. Oh, my gosh. It's okay, like a replica. This interview is done. I have to leave. <laughs> I just love, I love that you both. <laughs> have the same problem where a lot of times, you know, you bring your parent, like you create this world, like you both, you know, accomplish these things that a lot of people never accomplish. And you get to, you know, to perform on the level that you guys perform on, whether it's in WWE or on reality TV or whatever it is, like that's, that's a, 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 a premise that a lot of people don't get to actually feel what it feels like. So you would think that you bring your parents in, you give them a little taste of it and they go, oh my God, I have a new appreciation for what you guys go through. And instead, in both your cases, they turn around and they go, this is not that tough. As a matter of fact, we're bigger stars than either one of you two are. 100% that. Isn't that terrible? <laughs> that is terrible. an amazing explanation. <laughs> yes, and that's exactly right. It's 100% correct. You should make them watch and listen to, to this interview. See? Yeah, no, it, it, it would go in one ear, out the other. And they would just go, oh, like, why, not, why wasn't I on the interview? No, my mom I would go, oh, those. I don't understand. I don't speak English. I'm like, what? See, yeah. Now, see, Ms. Like I, I start as we talk about your parents. I start to understand where maybe some of the uh, oversensitivity and hostility comes in. Like I don't think that all the hostility maybe is directed towards me. I think these are deep parental issues. No, it's definitely directed towards you. No, no. Okay, yeah, that one. It's definitely tough. And, and huh. you know, it could have all been prevented, but you snubbed me. You did come in that day. And I did. I, I I broke in. You I said. Break, yeah, I yeah. said. Where Where is Sam Roberts' office? I'm going into his radio show. Oh wait, sir. No, you can't do that because he's busy. He's he, can't, he didn't have time <laughs> for you today. I, I broke in the the door and I said, Why don't you have time for me? And you were doing nothing. You were like eating a Snickers bar. I, if I remember right, I think we were talking about Tide Pods that day. One hundred percent. The Tide Pods. Oh my! You God, were upset. You were. You're upset I about that specifically. Tide Pods were too too important that. For me. So I think one of the reasons this show works, right, is because of the not just because you both have extremely 
photogenic Hollywood parents, but because uh, the the chemistry between you guys. And I also see that in WWE. When I when I think about Miz, the run that you had on SmackDown and going into Raw as Intercontinental Champion, and that level, I mean, I feel like you you went up several rungs on the ladder pretty quick. And something I think, I don't know if I'm starting trouble here, clicked in when Maurice came back and the act became the Miz. And you just started a whole... No, that's, not, that's actually not starting trouble. Okay. That's actually correct. That's okay. actually absolutely 100% correct. When Maurice came into the... Uh, in, in, back with me... Yes. Uh, when I was Intercontinental, that, that Intercontinental Championship run... Yes. Like, it... it, 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 it it be created something inside. I don't know what it is. It's something about having your wife uh, around the ring. It brings a whole new set of confidence. You know, you 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 have this beautiful woman supporting you, and it gives you this this level of confidence that you're untouchable, that you that you can't be scathed in WWE. And having her around definitely allowed me to feel that. And also, and it's, so, it's, it's yeah, one of those, those like things. That's one hundred percent correct. When you want people to boo you, it's when you're alone. Everybody can boo you and be like, yeah, everybody hates that guy. But it's infuriating for everybody in the arena to be like, yeah, we all hate him. But then there's Maurice being like, no, he's right. You're all wrong. It, it, yeah. Yeah. It dry, I think it drives people crazy to that next level. Is there, I mean, now there's a family. Now there's children. Now there's all this going on. Maurice, is there any itch in you to at some point always take that role back? <laughs> you want that? I think there's always. Uh... And, you know, the thing about me is that I, I'll i be like, oh, I have kids, I have a family. But also when I start getting excited about something, then that becomes something that my brain gets busy with. And, uh, you know, my husband is money in the bank. Uh, WrestleMania might be in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you start adding all these elements. Also, the fact that I love, I love WWE. I love everything about it. So, um, you know, it's kind of been my family for so long. Also, it's, it's, I don't think I'll ever be not back somehow. Yeah. In some capacity. In some capacity, I always come back. Listen, I was back on, on, on SmackDown. I just had a baby five months. Uh, it was five months postpartum, and I had a match with uh, against Brie Bella on SmackDown, we were the main event. Like you would have told me that when I was pregnant, I would start laughing. Yes. You know, yes. <laughs> and then yeah. that happened. Yeah. So how, you know, so it's really hard to say never. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. We were, but... uh, I think it'd be a good thing. I think it would be good. Um, we you never say never, but let's face it. I do have the money in the bank contract right now. Can cash in anytime, anywhere. Randy Orton, uh, Roman Reigns, whoever has the WWE or Universal Champion at the time. You know, I have that 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 opportunity to get that. And I know that when I'm with my wife, Maurice, I know nothing can stop me. And so you we're, never know. It's, we're it's go-getters, you know? Yeah, and then exactly. I see that opportunity, and I'm like, oh, wait a minute here. Huh-huh. I mean, this isn't the Intercontinental title we're talking about. Granted, it's, it was the most prestigious and honorable title when I had it. Right. But if I have the WWE or Universal Championship, I am the poster child of WWE. I am the talk. And if I'm the talk, guess who else is the talk? My missus, Maurice. And your dad. 
Yeah, but well, actually, you know what? The whole family will probably yeah. have to come in. Yeah, yeah. I think they yeah. will. I think they will. I think I think you're out now. Okay, so you, your dad, your wife, all have performed in WrestleMania matches. So I do feel like there are other members of the family that are going to be itching uh, to get those opportunities. Oh, please, Sam, don't. I hope they uh, – thank God they don't listen to your show. Why not? <laughs> I mean <laughs> – you know, my, my parents have no idea how to even use a cell phone. I have to sit there and show them how to use Instagram, how to use Twitter, how to use anything. They can't figure out how it, to use. It's funny. When I, I get turn like a, you on. I get a notification that my mom is on Instagram live. So I go, oh, want to use that. So I go and check and she's basically sitting uh, in the kitchen, just like you see her whole face, and she's talking <laughs> randomly. So like I don't even know what she she's saying, and she doesn't know she's live. So <laughs> that's what she does. And I'm like, do you understand, like what you just did? Like, <laughs> and she doesn't. And she's like, oh, nah. it's okay, it's okay. And then I see all these screen caps of like her her chin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah usually like you just have to do tech support for your parents and it's just you being annoyed in their house it's not like a hundred thousand people watching along on instagram as well (laughs) exactly (laughs) so you know i mean you said you didn't want to do the episode uh about your dad and uh trying to find some level of affection between the two of you whose idea was it to be like oh you know uh Missionary Mike is a nickname that's been going around. We should definitely bring this to television. Zack Ryder. Yeah. <laughs> that is a Zack Ryder coined term. We were in a locker room one day. It was like a European tour. Mm-hmm. And Ryder was talking to us about uh, sexual stuff. And I was like, oh, my God, really? And he goes, what are you, Missionary Mike? And everyone <laughs> erupted in the locker room. And now, like, if I call, like, Xavier Woods, uh-huh. I, I show up as Missionary Mike <laughs> on his cell phone. Like, that's how it is in and the locker room even, now. And it's not even a popular... Yeah, uh, I mean, it's not even my position. It's not even yeah, our position like, of preference. Like, <laughs> no, it's not, it's not even, even. It's not then, even in the book. Not even that. Like, and not only that, like, I'll see Big E. Big E's like, Missionary Mike! <laughs> like, it's it's a thing now. And it's it, I don't want it to be a thing because I'm not a missionary guy. And then they look at me and they smile, and I'm like, "You guys, like, what the heck? <laughs> yeah, you bunch of kids." <laughs> Isn't that great though? That even your wife is sitting there going, "Like, it's not true," and they don't believe her. They'd rather call no. you. They'd rather <laughs> want to believe. They're like, they don't. Wanna, they just like the name. <laughs> yeah, don't spoil this for us. It's an alliteration. It's too yeah. perfect. <laughs> 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 but that's the other thing too i mean you go through years of like proving yourself and proving yourself and proving yourself and it's still after you've proven yourself to a level that most people will never get to prove themselves you've cemented yourself as a guy who's not only a wwe superstar but has more lasting power than just about anybody right i mean the legacy that you've got at some point i feel like you're gonna have to retire Miz, for people to look back and be like oh he actually accomplished a lot. Like, do you ever feel like that? That people hundred percent. Like, I think I think even when anyone retires, like you want to retire before, like right at your popularity, right when your popularity hits like a max, and that's when people miss you the most. Yeah, and people will start like chanting your name and being like, "Yeah, we we want him back. We want him back." Um, if you just leave like like randomly, like you know, when you're just like kind of like you know in the middle of stuff, people are like, "Oh, that's okay. That's all right." So. You always got to leave it on a high. Me, 
I will leave whenever I, I don't look at time. I just look at whenever it stops being fun. And honestly, I'm having the most fun I've ever had. Like I get to be with John Morrison. I come home to my wife. I get to film Ms. and Mrs. You know, I did Cannonball. We have a new uh, production company, Mad Row Productions, that we're working on two shows, selling them right now. Like, and everything are, is looking really, really in the positive direction. We have a couple pitches uh, next week about a game show idea that Maurice and I have that people are really excited that about. That we actually uh, uh, wrote into, uh, in the playroom playing with the girls. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, if you're and just, then, if you're producing shows, I can host a game show. Yeah, no, no, what? no. We appreciate it, but no. I got my own <laughs> studio and everything. You might like snub me. You know, the first episode might come and you go, I oh, see. Sam wants more money. Oh, is this one of the, is this is this one of those things like these political Hollywood things where like you make a mistake that and you, you would pull? Yeah, yeah, you don't even you would absolutely pull. You, I would pull. I feel like yeah. I feel like this is one of those things where you make a mistake against you know one of these power players that you don't even realize you've made, and then they spend the rest of your career just trying to get you down. I feel like you're you know what you did. You know you made the mistake. You know what you did, and mm -hmm. it's going to take a long time for me to forgive you. You mean the now, I will the, tell you that you're forgiven. Okay. But in the back of my head, you're not. It's not true. It's not true. One hundred percent not true. I see. And even when I we have snubbed. if we have those pleasant interactions, hey, how's it going? In the back of your head, it's always like, there he is he again. He snubbed me. There he is again. He snubbed me for yeah. Tide Pods. For Tide Pods. Yeah, I'm telling you, I think this is a this is a, an issue with your dad where you think that people think they're better than you and 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 that bothers you. And it's because your dad won't give you the credit that you deserve. Well, maybe this episode of Ms. and Mrs. will have will have helped me, uh, you know, redeem that that quality. I hope so. I hope so. Well, look, Ms. and Mrs. is back. It's officially season two. By the way, why did you guys leave Texas? The, the, the season starts with you guys leaving Texas, going back to Los Angeles, which I love. Why, I, why I don't ask my wife that? Why did you leave Texas? We missed L.A. We just are uh, Californians. We're, we just love to move. We love to move. <laughs> yeah, no, we don't. I, was, <laughs> I miss the weather. There's so many things that I miss. I feel like, to me, L.A. is my home. Yeah. Um, and then we were in, in Austin, and I felt like I was on a vacation somewhere. And it's uh, just not – yeah, it, it's just I would get homesick. And, and this is weird because I'm from Montreal, so you would think, but no – uh, I was missing LA, my friends, and just all the memories and everything. We met, we got married, we had kids, we were always in LA, and for work, it's so much easier. And Austin is a great city, but it's just not us. And then I remember we were at a party for New Year's Eve, and mm. there's this uh, kind of like Cirque du Soleil type of like spectacle like mm -hmm. show and that girl was like coming down the building attached to like a harness and she was doing some acrobatic like you know uh stuff and everyone was like clapping and thought it was the greatest thing and like like the greatest thing and then mike and i looked at each other and right there we were like okay we need to be we need to move back <laughs> that, that like literally new year's was like the the thing where we we were like we're gonna go out tonight like we never go out we never do anything like we kind of just hang out with the kid so we we literally got home that night and we went out we tried and we said uh, we're done we need to move back to LA. Wow. But we can't move back in LA proper. Like we have to find a suburb. Yeah. Because we got kids. Yeah. No, that makes sense. So we rented a house in Calabasas for seven months until we found our house. That is hopefully the house forever. It's my dream house. I hopefully it's yours. I yes, mean, we I literally had house. to redo in every single room. By the way, you know what? What? Uh, 
we, I, we have trees up right now, like Christmas trees. Maurice made me the day after Halloween go in the attic and take down four trees. Do right you want now, a video we have three at, trees of up. all of our Christmas it's decorations? Ridiculous. I do. And I do. It, you don't do Christmas until after Thanksgiving. However, <laughs> at this household, we have to do it right after Halloween. You, you have to see this. I just completed my last one last night. It's annoying. It's really, really annoying, Sam. That's that's insane. Here's and here's what I keep thinking. It's like the especially since you moved into a rental and now you're moving into a permanent house. Here's why I hope it's your permanent house. I hate moving, and I can't like I, I when we moved from an apartment into a house. I was like, this is the last time that I ever want to move. And then I just watch you in horror go from like giant house in L.A. to a giant house in Texas to a giant house in California. This is your fourth giant house move. And when you have a giant house, you have giant houses full of stuff. Movies yes. the worst <laughs> thing in the world. And, it's to, the, and not only that, it's so stressful. And yeah. not only that, we have two little girls, which is even more stressful. So, yeah, it, I'm done moving. Like the first time uh, Monroe was 17 days, I was packing. I was super pregnant. And then two <laughs> weeks later, we moved in a tour bus and we were in a tour bus for three, three days. The bus broke down. Oh. And that's all for real, by the way. I thought I was going to have like a panic attack. <laughs> it's so annoying point. when people are like, dude, that's not real. I'm like, no, that happened. I that thought, I, happened. I, yeah, I thought someone was I thought it was getting pranked. I was like, there's no way. Come on. That's not for real. Like, someone is just joking. Our bus oh. broke down. We had to get in a, a freaking, like, SUV. To, and I know it sounds like, oh, you poor you. You had a bus and everything. But we didn't fly. Like, to, like we did it because it, we thought it would be a fun road trip. And, and no, it that, wasn't. Well, also, Mocha was sick. So we couldn't yeah. really fly because she has a hydrocephalus. So we're afraid that her brain's going to, I don't know, uh, <laughs> just <Yeah>. die <laughs> so uh yeah we we were it's just a nightmare and then i was seven months pregnant when we moved back uh, uh, so uh, <laughs> yeah no it's it seems like a nightmare i hope you guys have found your permanent spot just so you don't have to go through this again um but i'll tell you right now everybody that's listening to this your permanent spot every thursday night starting this thursday is on the USA Network because Ms. and Mrs. is back for a full season two. Uh, I know I can't wait for everybody to see it, so I'm assuming that you guys are ecstatic for it. Yeah, we can't wait. I mean, this, 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 these shows are literally something that we're proud of. It shows our entire family, our dynamic, uh, kind of who we are as people. So if you want a little insider, if you're a WWE fan, or even if you're not a WWE fan, you want a little insider of what it's like to be a WWE superstar and be and have a family and what it's like behind the scenes, you kind of get a taste of it and you get to laugh with your entire family. So yeah, every Thursday night on USA network, 10 30, 9 30 central. And uh, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. So definitely tune in. By the way, the way I wrap that up much better than the intro. Yes. Yes. hundred <laughs> percent. Thank you very much. The intro is terrible. Thank you. All right. But we'll focus on the positive. Thank you guys. I always appreciate right, it. <laughs> oh, you. you're, you're the man, and uh, you're now you're forgiven for snubbing me. Okay, I've heard that before, but hopefully this one sticks. Oh, definitely. Okay, good, good. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Follow at NotSam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Rate, review, and subscribe. This has been Not Sam Wrestling. Not Sam.